All right, brothers and sisters, we are going to go ahead and get started. Uh, thank you for being here. My name is Nick. I have the joy of serving here as one of the pastors. Um, we're doing a class called Eyewitnesses of His Majesty. And so what we're trying to do in this class, I'll tell you a little bit about it in a minute. Uh, but before we jump in, I do want to pray and ask God to help us and to be our teacher. Uh, and uh, this morning I was in Psalm 123, and uh, this, this was a wonderful meditation for me. Verse 2, um, this is what Psalm 123 verse 2 says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, and as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of their mistress, so our eyes... Look to the Lord our God. And then this last phrase. Until he has what? Mercy upon us. So let's go to this one. Let's go to this Lord our God. Let's look to him now and pray that he gives us mercy over this next hour. Okay, let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we do look to you as the Lord our God, as the the one who lavishes undeserved and free mercy on those who draw near to you in our time of need. And so we pray, we pray over these next few minutes, O oh Lord, we ask that you would help us to see the wonder of the mercy and the compassion and the pity of Christ. We, we pray that you'd help us to marvel at his holiness and to delight in his goodness and so to that end, we pray that you'd open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your beautiful word. And what we know not, please teach us. And what we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. All for the glory and praise of your dearly beloved son who lives with you, who reigns with you together with the Holy Spirit. One God forever blessed and forever praised. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Welcome. We, we started this class last week called Eyewitnesses of His Majesty. And uh, each week what we're going to try to do over these next couple weeks is to spend some time in the Gospels fixing our eyes on just individual passages that highlight the glory of Jesus Christ. Not the glory of Jesus kind of in the general, but particular aspects of his beauty and this morning we're going to be considering the holiness of Christ from Luke chapter 5 verses 12 to 16 and the the, the point of this class as I mentioned last week is, is we want to see and savor the glory and grace of Jesus when we go to the Bible we don't want to just go to the Bible for more information we want to go to the Bible ultimately for transformation and the way that we're going to be transformed into the glorious image of Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, is by beholding the glory of the Lord. And what that means when I talk about the glory of Christ, I'm talking about the glory of his person and work, the glory of his grace, the glory of his holiness the glory of his power, the glory of his sovereignty, the glory of his mercy, the glory of his love. Everything that makes Christ beautiful and spectacular, that's why we ought to go to the Bible. 
Because if we can see it by faith, then by God's grace, we will be conformed from one degree of glory to the other. And so that's what we're going to try to do uh, this morning. I mentioned last time the Roark family, we have exegetical hermeneutical rules in our household. The Roark rules of interpretation, they're really simple. If I've accomplished, really, if I've accomplished anything at the end of this class, you'll know these four rules. I could call you at 3 a.m. in the morning and you know the rules. First rule, words have meanings, plural, right? Words have meanings. How do you know the meaning of a word? Well, you got to look at it in context. Context is king. You can't understand the word. If I just said the word ball, you don't know what I mean. I could be talking about a dance. I could be talking about something you throw. But if I said, hey, did you watch ball yesterday? Well, then you probably th was thinking about Georgia losing. Amen? Praise God. And then let's, okay, sorry, let's keep going. And then, but, 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 but a, a, a text has a, a, a context that comes before and after it. But as you zoom out further and further, guess what? The context of any one passage in the Bible is the whole Bible. And so, good morning. And so we want to we wanna interpret scripture with scripture. The greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And then as we do it, this is really the whole point of the class right here. If you were to say, give me one sentence, it's we're trying to do this. Every time you open the Bible, Old or New Testament, you want to look for the glory and grace of Jesus because the Bible is all about him. So this, this week, if I were to mention the holiness of, of, or the, the holiness of God or the, the, the Holy One of Israel, you would probably think of Isaiah 6. That's one of the most famous passages in Scripture that talk about the holiness of God, right? Uh, our brother, R.C. Sproul, he, he preached on this passage again and again and again. And we can, we can understand why, right? Remember, King Uzziah, he died, and it says, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his what? All right, no, that was like two people. Get some coffee, take a breath. The whole earth is full of his what? Glory. glory, amen. So you got holiness and glory. So if we're looking at this passage, we see holiness, the holiness of the Lord is a part of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, in the presence of the holy, what happens? Well, Isaiah realizes he's not holy. Verse five, and I said, woe to me, for, here's the reason, I'm lost. For I am a man of what? In the presence of the holiness of God, he realizes I'm not holy, I'm unclean. I have a, a, man, of un, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So we see the holiness of the Lord displays his glory that fills the whole earth. And when sinners are in the presence of holiness, we realize that we're unclean. But then what's the next verse? Verse six, 
here's, if I were to summarize this in one, one word, it'd be this, grace. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. Why'd he touch his mouth? Yeah. I'm a man of unclean lips, so he touches his mouth. Behold, this has touched your lips, and what? Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. That's called grace. Why am I pointing out Isaiah 6 when we're going to be going to Luke 5? Well, as remember I said, Scripture interprets what? And let's just say in your Bible reading plan, you happen to be in the Gospel of John, and you get to John chapter 12, and Isaiah 6 is quoted by John, and then John tells us this wonderful thing. In John 12, 41, speaking of Isaiah 6, this vision we just saw, Isaiah, listen, said these things because he saw his glory, the glory of Jesus, and spoke of him. <laughs> Do you all believe that? <laughs> you better believe it. It's in the book. Isaiah saw the glory of the Son of God. He saw the glory of the Holy One of Israel. So, this morning, we're going to consider a bit about the Holy One of Israel. And so, as we do that, let's just take a minute and ask what's the main idea of this passage? What's the context? And we're going to ask a question we're going to try to answer the rest of our time, okay? First, the main idea is right here. It should be on your notes. You should have gotten a, a little uh, one of these things. Um, and you can see the main point right there on point number two. The main point from this morning is that Jesus Christ is the Holy One of Israel. That's the point. That's the main idea. Now, context. Remember context. Look up. If, you're, if you've got Luke 5 open, right before this, what did Jesus just do in verses 1 down to verse 11? What did he do? Just call it out. Yeah, he called his disciples. And one particular person was, uh, was a, a fisherman, right? Simon Peter. What, what has just happened there, that scene with Simon Peter? If you look up, remember, they'd been fishing and they weren't catching anything. And so Jesus says, hey, try this side. And Peter's like, well, you know, we've been trying all night, Lord, right? We know a thing or two about fishing, Mr. Rabbi. And so they, he said, well, just try, just you know, indulge me. So he throws the net on the other side of the, of the boat and every fish in the Sea of Galilee jumps into it, right? The net starts breaking. And then Simon Peter gives Jesus a high five and says, awesome. Is that what happens? No. In the presence of the Holy One, what does Simon Peter do? Verse eight, when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying what? Depart from me for I am a what? Sinful man. Sounds like Isaiah, doesn't it? In the presence of the Holy One, depart from me. He falls down at his feet and says, Lord, oh Lord, I'm sinful. So we've just had a, an example of the holiness of Christ in the context. And we know verse 12, we're gonna see in a minute that Jesus is 
in the north, right? He's been ministering in the north. He started his ministry in Nazareth, had his first sermon, Luke 4. His hometown crowd tries to throw him off a cliff. He moves his base of operations up near Capernaum in the north on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus has been ministering, teaching, and preaching in the northern part of Israel. And we, we arrive here in verse 12, and we're told that he was in one of the cities. And so before we dive in, I just want to just put the context here. Before we start talking about leprosy and things like that, just I want you to put on your thinking caps and just put yourself in the situation that many of us were in just a few years ago, okay? Because most of in this room have never had leprosy. We probably don't know someone with a lepro- who has leprosy. And so I just want to put ourselves in, in the shoes for a minute. Have you ever experienced, let's say in the last five years, have you ever experienced a measure of isolation? Have you ever had maybe the, the temptation or the feeling of being infected or being a potential infection to someone else? Maybe you have tasted grief and loneliness and anxiety and fear and frustration and regret, maybe even hopelessness or even shame. Maybe you've felt the crushing weight of longing to simply have community again because you've been in quarantine. This passage this morning, the the person we're about to meet has been under a permanent quarantine. And it ought to stagger us. This man that Jesus meets has been suffering alone. He's been in a kind of isolation that none of us can fathom. He's endured physical and social and religious isolation. Jesus is about to meet a man that we all would likely avoid at all costs. A man who's untouchable, a man who's contagious, a man who is defiled, a man who is unclean, a man who is unholy, a man who was a leper. So my question that we need to ask in context is this, what happens when an unclean, untouchable man encounters the Holy One of Israel? That's the question. Let's read the passage, and then we'll see what happens. Verse 12, while he was in... This keeps dropping off. I'm probably doing something wrong. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying... I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him, that is about Jesus, went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he, that is Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places, to lonely places, and pray. Okay, so let's 
ponder first. This is the first thing we're going to consider this morning. Let's get in our minds the plight that this man is facing. Um, the plight of the unholy. Uh, if you, you don't know what the word plight is, what is, the, what is the hardship that this man is going through? What is his plight? What is his horrible condition? Let's get this fixed in our minds for a minute. Verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the cities, again, um, notice he's in one of them. So notice that word in, he's in a city. We're not told what city, but it's a city in the north and one of the cities in the Galilee. And notice it, Luke tells us, I love the detail, the medical details Luke says. He doesn't just say he was a leper. He says this man came, notice the man came to Jesus. There came a man and notice he is a what? Full of leprosy. Now leprosy in the Bible, if you use the ESV or other translations, that word leper or leprosy, it's, it, it doesn't always have to mean what we think of today as Hansen's disease. Um, the word leprosy can, can refer to many different kinds of skin diseases or issues. Um, it's kind of a catch-all word. And uh, it was one of the most deadly and dreaded afflictions, um, especially in the ancient world. It was to have leprosy was to have a fate almost worse than death. It was like a living death. Uh, there's a Jewish historian, Josephus. He said that lepers were treated, in effect, as dead men. Um, leprosy was incurable. You couldn't go to the doctor for it. If you caught it, you had it. One of the rabbis would say that to cure a leper is just as difficult as to raise a dead man from the dead. So if you think of it this way, it, we don't have to know ancient background or something. If we just think about our Old Testament scriptures, we have some instances of leprosy in the Bible. Okay, Remember, remember King Uzziah, the guy who died? <laughs> that, that's, we all know King Uzziah because of Isaiah 6. He's the guy who died. Well, remember King Uzziah, if, if you read one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, is 2, Corinthians 20, or 2, Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 26. Remember, there's this long description of what King Uzziah did. He was an amazing king. He built and did all these incredible things. But then what happened? When he became strong, he became what? Prideful. And he did something that only the priests could do. And God struck him with what? Leprosy. And at the end of that chapter, we're told this about King Uzziah. He was a leper to the end of his day, to the day of his death. And being a leper, notice this, this is the king. He lived in a separate house for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. He couldn't go into the house of the Lord anymore. And then even though he had done all these amazing things, what was on his tombstone? Quote, he was a leper. To be a leper would be, is to mean to be excluded from the fellowship of God's people. You're outside the camp, as it were. Who's the most famous leper besides this dude in Luke 5? Who's the most famous leper in the Old Testament who was cleansed? Okay, come on, y'all. Well, what was his name? Ne there, okay, one, Jeremy, way to, way to go. Seminary's helping. Na Naaman. <laughs> Na Jeremy got it. Naaman the Syrian. Naaman the Syrian. 
And remember Elisha, Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, he, he, he shows up, the prophet, and what happens? He tells Naaman to do what? Yeah, go down and, and you know, take a dip a few times, right? And Naaman doesn't want to do it. He says, listen, do it. He goes down, and when he, when, after he's cleansed, this is what Naaman says. Behold, I know there is what? No God in all the earth but Israel. So follow the logic. The only way you get cleansed from leprosy, which is uncurable, is if God does it. Only God can cleanse a leper. And Naaman says, since I've been cleansed, I know one thing. There's only one God in the world, and it's, it's the God of Israel. He's the one who can cleanse lepers. If he can do that, he's the God, he's the God of all the earth. Okay? So that's, that's the situation of lepers, right? Here's some other descriptions. If you, want to, if you just want to do a deep dive on, I know some of you are thinking, I want to do a deep dive on leprosy. All right. Read Leviticus 13 and 14. You'll get plenty of verses that teach us about leprosy. And if you read those chapters, beloved, you'll find there's all of these descriptions about how to deal with a leper. Uh, restrictions on a leper. They even talk about in chapter 14, here's the, the whole long, drawn out process of how if a leper happens to be cleansed, how to reinstate them into the fellowship of Israel, right? There's an offering, you gotta put blood on the leper who's been cleansed and all these things, but there's no description on how to get cleansed. It just talks about what to do if it were to happen. But this is one famous passage in Leviticus 13 that you all probably know of, of the plight. If you get leprosy, this is how you get treated. Ready? The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes. Why? Why do you tear your clothes in the Old Testament? A sign of what? Mourning. Basically, you're, you've died. You're, you're, it's a living death, so you're mourning yourself. And you shall, he shall cry out, what? Unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live, what? Alone. His dwelling shall be, what? Outside the camp. So just listen, pay attention and listen to these words. Torn clothes unclean, alone, outside. I was reading this weekend, it's a book. Leah Smith actually told Alice and I about this. This is a, a book about a guy who committed a crime, like a white collar crime. He got put in a, uh, basically a, a jail kind of a thing. A, a, it's not really a jail. It, it's something, it's a, What's the word? It's kind of like jail. It's a, he was, it's a federal prison, but a part of the federal prison in Louisiana also houses the last group of lepers in America. So he's, in, he's with the inmates, but then a part of the, where he's staying has lepers. And this is what he said when he saw the lepers for the first time. This is called In the Sanctuary of Outcasts. What a name. In the Sanctuary of Outcasts. He says this, quote, I passed men and women with odd-shaped noses and discolored faces 
and disfigured hands and oversized sunglasses and irregular shaped shoes and stumps from missing limbs. I held my breath. I didn't want to breathe the same air they were breathing. I didn't want to accidentally brush up against one of them. I didn't want to accidentally get close enough that the infection could reach out and take hold in my body and turn me into a horror. This is the plight, brothers and sisters, of the unholy. And to accent, brothers and sisters, how utterly desperate this man's condition is. Did you notice? While he was in one of the cities, notice, there came a man full of leprosy. So it's, it's, this is a bad situation. He doesn't just have it. It's, it's, he's full of it. It's all over him, right? And notice in the Old Testament, it also describes where is the leper supposed to stay? Outside the what? Outside the camp, outside the city. You don't want a leper coming into your city because he'll start infecting people. Now, if you read Matthew 8.2 and you read Mark 1.40, you learn a little detail. That the, we're told the leper came to Jesus. In other words, the leper, according to Luke 4.40, all these reports about Jesus' healing ministry are going throughout all of Israel. So this leper is on the outside of one of these cities, and he hears the reports that Jesus is in the city. And he starts asking himself, if I go in there, I could be stoned to death for breaking the law. But it's worth it. It's worth the risk. Jesus is the only one who could heal him. And so he's, he's thinking, I've got to go into the city to find Jesus. And that's what we're told he does. He goes in to find Jesus. He's breaking quarantine to go find the Holy One of Israel. This leper had nothing, and so he risks the only thing he does have, which is his miserable life. So, notice also, notice also, when he saw Jesus, so he finds Jesus and he sees him, and what does he do? Just like, just like Peter, just a few verses earlier, he meets the Holy One, and what does he do? Falls on his face. And he begins to beg him. He begins to beseech him. He begins to, to cry out to him. And what does he call Jesus? Lord. I don't think that's a term of respect. It wasn't a term of respect just a few verses earlier when Peter called Jesus Lord. And I don't think it's a term of respect here. I think, he's, I think he knows only God can heal lepers. He's heard about what Jesus is doing in and out, in around Israel. And by, by the very question itself, if you will, you can what? You can make me clean. Only God could make a, a leper clean. I think this is a word of faith. I think he's saying, Lord, if, if, if you will to cleanse me, you can make me clean. And so Jesus becomes the center of attention. Everything up to this point has fixated our eyes on the plight of the unholy. 
But this, 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 this now fixes our attention now on, on Jesus, on Jesus. Now, in your notes, uh, I put the next thing we're going to consider is the pity of the Holy One. You see that? I even alliterated it for you. You see that? Plight and pity. Look at that. Amazing. The Bible was written in alliterated three-point outlines. It's amazing. Amen. So Jesus says, verse 13, he's saying, if, 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 you, if you're willing, Lord, you can make me clean, right? If you will, you can make me clean. So just, this is where meditation is important. Is the leper questioning Christ's ability to cleanse him? No. He takes for granted he can cleanse him. Jesus has the ability to make lepers clean. What is he asking? What is he trying to consider? He's saying, Lord, the only thing I don't know is if you're willing to do it. I know you're able to do it. I've heard of you doing it. But are you willing to make me clean? You see? And this is why I've said this before, brothers and sisters. The the Gospels are a narrative of the heart of Christ. You want to know what Christ's heart is towards sinners and towards sufferers. Read the Gospels. Because did you see the, the leper's greatest desire in all the world, the greatest desire in the heart of this leper is to be clean, right? And so now he's asking Jesus to put, as it were, to reveal his desires. What is, what is Jesus willing to do for this man? His heart is on display. And so what happens What happens? Well, I'm saying what happens has to do with pity. And if you look at your Bible in in chapter 5 of Luke, I don't see pity. I don't see anything. It just says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I'm willing to be clean. You see it? However, remember I told you all last week, one of the best things you can do is to get one of these jokers a synopsis of the Gospels. Y'all remember I mentioned this? And so, or you don't need one of these things. All you have to do is look in your Bible cross notes or your cross references. If you look in your cross references in your Bible, those little numbers that are in the middle of the column of your Bible that you never look at, or you, maybe, maybe you don't look at them as much, this event that we're reading about is, taught, is described for us in Mark chapter 1 and in Matthew chapter 8. And if you were to go and look here, you probably can't read this, but if you were to go and put these passages side by side, you find a glorious clue. Because my question is, the leper says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I'm willing, be clean. So my question is, what is it that moves Jesus to, to answer this request from the leper? Well, Mark tells us right here. Mark, you can't see it probably. Mark chapter 1, verse 41, he adds this one little phrase moved with pity. 
Jesus stretched out his hand. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretches out his hand. Moved with mercy for this man, he stretches out his hand. What motivated Jesus to touch this unclean, vile leper? Answer, mercy. His heart of mercy. So, so you start to meditate on this. This man was full of what? Leprosy. But Jesus is full of what? Compassion. The man was full of leprosy. Jesus is full of pity. This man was full of leprosy. But Jesus is full of mercy. This man's leprosy is no match for the mercy of the friend of sinners. And I just am blown away to think. You can see it right here. He stretches out his hand. Now, at this point, we don't know if people were around Jesus when this happened. But you don't touch lepers, right? Why would you, you avoid a leper? That's why they have to say what? Unclean, unclean. You don't want to stumble across one. You see a leper, you hear a leper, you cross the road. The Holy One of Israel stretches forth his hand to touch him. This is shocking. And just ponder for a minute. When was the last time, I wonder, when this poor man had felt a gentle touch of compassion? When was the last time someone had given him a hug? How many years had this man sat alone, helpless, hopeless, unloved, unclean. You come in contact with a leper, if you're a sinner in Israel, you become ceremonially unclean. You become defiled. Remember in the parable of the Good Samaritan, there's a dead guy, or maybe he looks dead, the Samaritan, or the, the guy on the side of the road looks dead. And the priest and the Levites, when they see the, the guy they think is dead, what do they do? They go check on him. No, they don't. They, they cross the road because they don't even want to come close to unclean, potential uh, defiling corpse, right? You avoid ceremonial uncleanness. You remember in the Old Testament, when Job was afflicted from head to toe with what? Sores, remember? And he was outside the gates of the city. He's, he's outside and he's got pottery shards. He's cutting himself. He's trying to bring relief. And his friends, the miserable counselors and comforters who show up, the, Job's friends should have taken equipped to counsel, amen? If, if they'd only had equipped to counsel, it would have been a lot better for Job. But they did not take equipped to counsel with John Henderson. Um, and remember, one of the first things they start to say to Job is, well, you wouldn't have all these sores. If you, you have some sin in your life, Job, you need to confess, right? Anybody afflicted like this from head to toe clearly have sin. So lepers were associated with sin, with judgment. Clearly, God is judging the person, right? And so this man 
unbelievable. The Holy One of Israel touches this man. But instead of making Jesus unclean, the Holy One of Israel touches him and makes him what? Clean. The heart of Christ, which is full of mercy, is greater than the defilement of sin. And instead of becoming unclean, Jesus cleans this poor man. Brothers and sisters, it should cause us to just marvel at a minute. There's nothing, there's no mercy greater in all the world than is found in the heart of Jesus Christ for sinners. His mercy is greater than all of our sin. So this, I love it how the world sees this man, right, as a plague, as someone to avoid. But Jesus draws near to him. And he says to this poor man, he looks down at the man who's at his feet, who's begging him. And and the Holy One of Israel looks him in the face and says, I am willing to cleanse you, be clean. He touches him. And so I just want to ask you this morning, friend, maybe there's a deep desire that you have this morning. It's a good desire. And maybe you've told yourself, you believe that Jesus is able to do what you're asking him to do. You know he's able to do it. But where you're struggling this morning is believing that he's willing to do it. You know he can, but because maybe he hasn't yet, you're thinking he must not be willing to do it for me. And this text helps us to see that the heart of Christ towards sinners, his heart that is full of mercy, Jesus has that same heart of mercy this morning. He's willing and able to help and to cleanse even the foulest. I love uh, one commentator puts it like this. It says, while he could heal the leper by his word alone, he adds the contact of his hand to show his feeling of compassion. So the reaching out of his hand was a sign of his token, of his, notice, vast grace and goodness. And then I love the way Calvin puts it. He says, here is a thing which we pass over without much impression. Notice, at an idle reading. We just kind of glance over it. But must certainly ponder with much awe that the Son of God, so far from abhorring contact with the leper, actually stretched out his hand to touch his uncleanness. So we've pondered the plight of this man. We've pondered the pity of the Holy One. That Jesus' heart of mercy is greater than this man's uncleanness. That the Holy One of Israel can cleanse even the most unholy. But let's ponder thirdly and finally, and we'll think through some application briefly. Let's ponder the power of the Holy One. The power of the Holy One. You see here, one of the things that's striking is 
Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him, saying, I will be clean. And notice the result of his touch. What's the result? And what? It, didn't, it, didn't, it wasn't, here's three Tylenol and call me in the morning, right? Immediately, the leprosy left him. Gone. Immediately. Now, again, as you, as you reflect on this, as you reflect on this, because Jesus is about tell him to go do something according to the law of Moses. But as, as you reflected on your biblical theology of leprosy, right? As you reflect on that, do you see what's happening here? The law of God can point out the problem and tell you what to do after you've been cleansed from leprosy, but the law provides nothing to actually cleanse you from leprosy. Jesus, the son of God, in this passage, the Holy One of Israel, is doing what the law of God cannot do, namely cleanse lepers. Jesus is demonstrating he is able in himself to do what God's perfect and holy law is powerless to do. He touches this leper, and instead of becoming defiled, Jesus sanctifies. Jesus cleanses. The law assumes if a sinner touches a leper, that sinner's going to be ceremonially unclean. But Jesus is able to do what the law cannot do. And this is beautiful, isn't it? I love it. The, immediately, the leprosy left him. Jesus can make unclean sinners clean. That's what this passage is teaching us. Jesus can do only what God himself can do, namely heal lepers. Remember, what did Naaman, what was Naaman told to do by the prophet? What, what was he told to do? If you want to get cleansed, uh, Naaman, go down and do what? Go down and wash in the river. Remember when uh, Miriam, uh, Numbers 12, she kind of gets a little... Uh, uppity, I think, and starts getting upset at Moses, and Moses step back, and then God strikes Miriam with what? Leprosy. And then what happens? How does she? How is she healed? Moses intercedes for her and prays for her, and God removes the leprosy. Remember, after she she has to go outside the camp for a few days, just like the law says. Moses prays. Well, what does Jesus do? He just says a word, be clean. Jesus speaks a mighty command, the command of the creator God, be made clean. So as I, as I pondered this, think about this for a minute. This isn't just a healing, right? Whatever, it was the, it's a restorative act of the creator God. Whatever had rubbed away, whatever sores had deteriorated, whatever damage had occurred, whatever needed to be restored immediately, instantly, this leper's skin was made brand new. It was all gone. I remember, uh, you know, remember in 2 Kings 5, 14, right after 
Naaman, the Syrian, is healed. Do you remember what we're told? We're told this. His flesh was restored like the flesh, remember, of a little child. And he was made clean. Naaman the Syrian's flesh was restored and became like the skin of a little child. He was made brand new. This leper was made brand new. All of his leprosy was gone. But what is more, don't just think about the physical healing. Now, as someone who's clean, who can he go see again? We're not told, but assuming any of his family in the city, any of his friends, any of his former neighbors, anybody in the city now, he's, he's clean. He could go back to, to those that he had left because he's been restored by the power of Christ. And so Jesus says, he charged him. I, this is my, this, there's not a lot of humor in this passage. I find this hilarious. Verse 14, and he charged him to tell no one. <laughs> don't tell, you've been a leper for whoever knows how long, but don't tell anybody what happened, right? Well, what's funny is if you read Mark's account, it says that he's a little disobedient at first. He goes, he goes out immediately and starts telling everybody, right? But, but Jesus has a reason though. Before you go tell anybody, you need to obey God's word. Go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing just as Moses commanded for a proof. So he, he's thinking about in Leviticus 14 what he's supposed to do. You're supposed to go present yourself. The priest inspects you to make sure you're, you're, you don't have any leper, leprosy anymore. And then he takes a, there's a dramatic, all this prolonged offering. There's blood. Listen, blood of the offering is put on the leper. Right? You can read about this in Leviticus 14. Make that your afternoon reading. And so what, what is happening here? G, Jesus is telling him, go and do what God's word says. But what's going to happen is this man, because it's going to be a public thing, he's going to be pronounced clean by the priest, right? He has to travel from the northern part of Galilee in this city all the way down to the temple. And then he's going to have to be declared clean publicly, and then he gets to come back all along the way and tell everybody who made him clean. Isn't that beautiful? He wants him to go away from there and then to come back and hopefully tell everybody along the way after he's done what God's word has says. And we read even more even more about him, about Jesus, went abroad and the great crowds gathered to him to be healed of their infirmities. You can imagine why, right? If lepers are being cleansed, surely God has visited Israel. And then look at verse 16. This is probably the most shocking verse in the whole passage. What does Jesus do? He withdraws to desolate places and prays. We see that again and again and again in Jesus' ministry. The busyness of his ministry, and yet he's drawing away to lonely places, to solitary places, to pray. 
Prayer is the most practical thing in all the world because prayer moves the hand that moves the universe. And so, friend, that Jesus often goes away to these kind of places to pray. And if you find yourself in a solitary place this morning, the one lesson that Jesus may be wanting to teach us is the lesson of prayer. So let me, let me conclude with some application before we, we head on to hear God's word preached to us. First application this morning is trust. This passage ought to cause us to trust the Holy One of Israel. Why? Luke wrote his gospel, according to chapter 1, verse 4, to give certainty to you concerning the things that you have been taught. And this passage, the healing of this leper, is evidence from Luke to give you certainty in your faith. How do I know that? Because if you just keep reading in Luke's gospel, there was a man named John the Baptist who was imprisoned, who was on death row, as it were, who was about to be beheaded. And remember, he sent messengers to see, to ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, are you the one, are you the Messiah? Or are we waiting for someone else to come? Remember? That moments of doubt that, that John the Baptist was going through, he wanted evidence because the Romans hadn't been kicked out yet. He's waiting. He's saying, are you the one? And Jesus sends back word to John the Baptist to say, tell John this, here's evidence that I'm the Messiah. Remember what he said? Go tell John what you have seen and heard. Namely, here's, here's the resume. Blind receive their sight. Lame walk. What's the third piece of evidence? Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the gospel is preached to the poor. You and I have all the evidence we need to know that Jesus is the Messiah. And the question this morning is, will we trust him? Will you trust him? Maybe you're doubting this morning. Jesus is speaking to you through this passage to say, I can make the phallus clean. You can trust me. Recognize your own, as it were, filthiness in the sight of a holy God and come to Jesus Christ for cleansing. Believe that he can make you clean. We're told this multiple times, right? The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, amen? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We, we sing a song, um, his blood can make the foulest, what? Clean. His blood availed for me. We sing, come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready, what? Stands to save you. Full of what? Pity, love, and power. Friend, put your trust in the friend of sinners. Put your trust in the one who promises to make you clean. There was another passage I wanted to read briefly from this book. After the guy had been there a while, he noticed there was a group of people who were caring for these lepers who were not the prison facility staff. They were a group of nuns. This is beautiful. 
It says, according to the patients who had leprosy, the nun's kindness was the saving grace of the leper colony. This is beautiful. One sister who arrived at the turn of the century told the patients, listen, she would never use the term leper to describe them. Instead, she called them my friends. That's what Jesus Christ has done. He's the friend of sinners. All of our uncleanness, all of our defilements, everything which would you should it should make us think that Jesus would cross the road when he sees us. And yet in his mercy, he has drawn near to us. He has touched us by his grace. And he's made us clean. And he calls us no longer unclean, no longer lepers. He calls us his friends because he's the friend of sinners. So friend, listen to me. On the authority of the word of the living God, there is nothing, nothing in you that the Holy One of Israel cannot touch and make clean. His blood can make us clean, so we should trust him. Secondly, oh friends, we should thank him. We should thank him. Another, there's another passage in Luke that deals with lepers being cleansed. Remember Luke chapter 17? And it's one of my favorite passages in Luke. And one of the reasons I highlight it is Peter in his second letter actually talks about Christians who have forgotten that they were cleansed from their former sins. Some of you this morning maybe showed up here this morning and you haven't even, you haven't pondered much the fact that Jesus has cleansed you from all of your former sins. That's easy for us to forget, isn't it? It's easy for us to forget. And there's this great story. I'm, just, I'm not going to comment on I'm just going to read it. The application's obvious to each one of us. This is, this is chapter 17. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by what? Ten lepers who stood at a distance, right? And lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, just one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face, just like the earlier leper, at Jesus' feet. And here's the most important verb giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, and listen to this question. Were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except the foreigner? And Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. 
Your faith has saved you. I wonder, have we, like this leper, forgotten that we've been cleansed by the leprosy of our sin? We should give thanks to every single time we receive forgiveness that he has cleansed us from all our sins. Where are the nine? Jesus asked us this morning. Let's give thanks to the Holy One of Israel. Last one and we'll be done. We should treasure the Holy One of Israel. We should treasure the Holy One of Israel. In our sin, because of our rebellion against God, even our first parents, remember when Adam and Eve sinned, they were what? Sent outside the camp. They were sent east of Eden, away from the presence of the Lord. And we've been living east of Eden ever since. And the Bible ends by telling us something striking about the new heavens and new earth, the new Jerusalem. We're told this, nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And brothers and sisters, I want us to just think about this as we close. When we sin, we feel unclean, don't we? We feel defiled. We feel dirty. We need to be made clean. The law can't cleanse us. Our works cannot cleanse us. Our best efforts cannot cleanse us. Only Christ is able and willing to cleanse us. And it was years later, after Jesus' end of his public ministry, where Jesus once again stretches out his hands towards sinners. He stretched them out on the cross. And it was at the cross where Jesus himself took on the curse of our sin. He took the curse of the law on himself in order to make us clean. On the cross, Jesus himself suffered outside the camp, outside the city, bearing in his body the wrath of God for our sins. He didn't have any sins. He bore the reproach of the unclean on the cross. He suffered alone outside the city. And why'd he do it? Why? Why? Hebrews tells us why. He suffered outside the gate. And notice this purpose clause. In order to sanctify the people through his own blood. He suffered to make you clean. He suffered to set you apart as holy. The holy one died in the place of the unholy to make you holy forever. That's beautiful. Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. You and I were defiled and unclean. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were cut off from fellowship of God. We were headed to an eternity of outer darkness and hell. But because of the Holy One of Israel, because he is full of pity, love, and power, we've been washed. We've been sanctified. We've been restored. We'll, we've been clean. 
And now his Holy Spirit dwells within us. Our cleansing should cause us to sing. I'll close with Isaiah 12. It should cause us to sing. I hope and pray when we go into the service here in about two minutes, when we sing, you will sing, brothers and sisters, as those who've been made clean. Isaiah says, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for you were angry with me. Your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. We're about to sing that in a minute. I will trust and will not be afraid for the Lord my God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, Proclaim that his name is exalted. Here's the command. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabited in Zion. And here's the reason why. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Brothers and sisters, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Amen. Let me pray, and then we're going to stand and sing the doxology. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we do cast ourselves down now before the majesty of your grace. We ask you from the bottom of our hearts that the seed of your word now sown among us may, may take such deep root in us and dwell in us so richly that neither the burning heat of persecution would cause it to wither nor the thorny cares or fleeting pleasures of this life choke it out, but that by your blessed spirit, the spirit of grace, as seed that's sown in good soil, he might bring forth 30 or 60 or even a hundredfold, all for the glory of your dearly beloved Son, our blessed Redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen.